Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. How exotic. (laughs) And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about stuff that matters to us. We're so glad and grateful that you're here. And hi, sugar. Hello. Mm -hmm. So, Jamie. Yes. Let's just start off with how you feeling today. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I'm feeling resolved and I'm feeling calm. Okay. I'm, and I'll unpack that just a little bit. Okay. Uh, something snapped for me last week. <laughs> yeah. You know, the horror of that school shooting, the number of myths about guns, about cops, about the whole toxic mess, mm. all kind of got debunked in like at once. In that event. In that event. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It turns out that a whole shitload of good guys with guns just don't matter. None of it matters. Right. Having armed people before the, co- the real cops get there on campus also doesn't matter. None mm-hmm. of the things the NRA has been saying for decades, mm-hmm. that we just got to arm things more. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, everything they said was in place. Mm-hmm. And this person just did all the murdering. Right. Um, and yet the gaslighting. Yeah, it, they, it was they immediate. Found other other ways to gaslight. It was <laughs> immediate. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just something snapped for me. Mm-hmm. And so I spent Thursday, <laughs> Friday, a little bit of Saturday, uh, being super public about how I was feeling about things. Yeah, you know, yeah. For, for really the first time, I've talked around the edges of things. I've I've been straightforward, but lightly so previously. Mm-hmm. I just kind of. Went ham. Yeah, you went on a full-on rant. I did. Multiple uh, rants. Yeah, I must have posted 20-plus <laughs> times. Right, on social media. On social yeah. media uh, in various places. Mm-hmm. But a lot on Facebook with mm-hmm. our crew there who are not used to seeing that from me because you and I have tried for a really, really long time to be gracious and accommodating and to give the benefit of the doubt. No more, mm. you know? Uh, and that's the resolve that I'm feeling. When I say I'm feeling resolved and calm, mm. I, I'm just... I'm done accommodating fascists. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel good about that. That's good. <laughs> I have been, you know, there's always been a part of me that has felt really bad about like blocking people on social media mm. or alienating people. Like it just feels, I hate when things feel permanent because I have trouble with that mm. kind of thing for mm. whatever personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I've struggled with that, you know? Like I'd rather just like not engage with people. You know, that's kind of my previous way. Right. You know? Right. Uh, But it just feels really important right now. Uh, Someone asked me about it and I coined a term for it. It strikes me as being crisis community building. What do you mean by that? It's like community building for crisis situations, you know? Like it's really, really important in times like this, I think, that we're like we're we're entering into (laughs) Mm -hmm. to feel as though we know who the safe people are and that they are explicitly 100% for sure on our side, mm. you know? And I think the only way to do that really is to be super overt about who you are and where you're coming from so mm. you can let other people see you. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's important to do it in our local communities. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have, we have a lot of very close friends in our local communities who mm-hmm. know where we're at and mm-hmm. we know where they're at and it mm-hmm. feels good. But it's also important to, to do it in our virtual communities because a lot of our life is lived virtually these days. Sure. That's just the reality of 2022, you know? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's both. And I really feel you on the, like, having not wanted to, like, you know, uh, block people or, you know, like, cut folks off in the past. I, I understand where or that's coming from. Or push them away. Yeah, I yeah. totally understand where that's coming from. 
I got to that place a lot sooner in my life than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but we all we all come to it when we come to it. You snapped last week and you had a moment where you're like, okay, I cannot prioritize trying to string along people who aren't here to argue in good faith. Yeah. They're they're literally just wasting your time and riling you up and sucking energy from you that's better better used building community with people who share your values and with whom we can actually build something build power together. Yeah, you know, like I I get that. I, like I'm one hundred percent behind you on that. And I mean these the the folks that wanted to come and be trolls on your on your posts are literally just trolls. They're not people who are involved in your life otherwise. They literally only show up to do the woohoo, boohoo, liberal snowflake, woke, lefty, blah, 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 whenever you post something. They don't show up to do that for me. They They show up to do something uh, different and equally bad. That's that's what I mean. They they, they never do the name calling like you just said. Okay. What they do is they come on there to just regurgitate right-wing talking points. Right, and try to couch it in something that sounds respectable but totally isn't. Yeah, most of which is just gaslighting. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I get, I, I mean... One of them called me a name, so maybe yeah. that's where I got that from. But I, you know, and I, like, whatever. Like, it, it, it is, it is, a, it is, it is a reflection of the goodness in your heart that you don't haven't haven't wanted in the past to eliminate those people's presence from your online life. Um, it's not like they're involved in your in your real life either, your in person life. You no, know what I mean? No. Like, but I understand the impulse, and it's it's a reflection of the goodness in your heart. Also, I think it's a really powerful move. I think it's it's exercising it's exercising something that you have the power to change, which is how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, how you spend your your reach and your communication with people online. It, it, like not engaging with them frees you up to do to engage with all the people who actually want to do something positive about these kinds of issues. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm glad you're excited about that aspect of it. That's very much not the majority of what I'm talking about. The majority of what I'm talking about is the saying is the expressing my point of view publicly, yeah, and yeah. loudly. No, I get it. That's the, that's the part that for me. I mean, the, the right. blocking and right, the right, right. not giving oxygen thing is fine. Got it. That's great. Yeah, uh, but the part that is really much more exciting for me is feeling just like unshackled and emboldened to speak my truth in ways that might feel antagonistic to people who don't agree with me. Right. And not really to give two shits about whether I'm being like super kind to people who don't deserve my kindness. Well, it's, 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 people always deserve our kindness. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Like people do. And I will, like, I think it's really important in moments like this to really double down on being committed to the idea that that like I'm not going to dehumanize totally. other people, right? Totally. So people always deserve kindness. People's it, ideas do not deserve to be heard always. Yes. Because sometimes those ideas are violent, harmful, hurtful, oppressive and horrible and mm-hmm. <laughs> repulsive, you know what I mean? Like so I think that, that that's that's an important delineation, but I'm, I'm super happy that you feel really good about speaking boldly yeah. about the stuff that matters to you. Yeah. I always speak I always comport myself kindly on the internet as yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. But I definitely have taken the initiative to just say some things that I imagine right-wingers reading them would feel real offended at. Mhm. And I'm good with that. Yeah, well, you know, if you're offending people with terrible ideas, then you're probably you're probably on doing the, something you're on the right. right track. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so you're feeling calm also, mm-hmm. which is great. In the wake of that, yeah. That's great. It's nice. Cool. How about you? How are you feeling? Um, My feelings today aren't so related to the... um. The shooting stuff, like I, I feel my, my day has been filled with other stuff that has taken my mind off of that for a while, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel stimulated. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been doing lots of physical activity today and um, and that feels good. So my body feels stimulated and that's really nice. Like mm-hmm. it's a good feeling. Um, and, and I have a good tired feeling because of all the physical stuff that we've done today. Yeah. So that's mostly where I'm at right now. Um, Great. Yeah, yeah. Love it. How about we fire up the good news machine? We have the best news. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's both of our same. same, We have the same news. We have the same news. Okay. So here's some background. Oh yeah. Context. Okay. Two, uh, almost, almost two years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, summer of 2020, mm-hmm. we built a deck. Stress in our, built is like what, stre- what I had to say. Stress built a deck in our backyard. It was the first summer of the pandemic, uh, and we had this. We had the space we had been wanting to do something with to improve our outdoor space, and so we just we built a deck. With the two our, of us. The two of us with our four hands built this deck, and it's beautiful. It's huge. And it's wonderful. We really went ham. We really went. We, yeah, we went all out. It was. It's. It's lovely. Uh, while we were building this deck, like while we were like hammering things together mm-hmm. for days and weeks on end and, you know, out there working and making lots of noise, uh, a, a wild rabbit, a ri- wild bunny appeared in our backyard. Yeah. Like, we would see it, like, zooming from one end of the yard to the other. It was totally around and didn't get scared away at all by our building activity. Yeah. Like, it was there. And we were so excited. Like, oh my gosh, a wild bunny in our yard. How fun. Well, once the deck was finished... The bunny moved in. Under the deck. Under the deck. Turns out we were building like elaborate bunny condominium. Yeah, which is so great. And for the last almost two years, that bunny has just lived in our backyard. We, we see it we most see days. It, most days, it'll come out and it, we have tons of dandelions and clover in our backyard and it'll come out and munch the green stuff. Nom, nom, and nom, nom. It is just so cute. It had little favorite spots that like to hang out under the ferns by the fence and near the dogwood tree. Like and, they would be kind of like like matted down almost to dirt because it would sit in the same place. Yes. Like had, like Wade Boggs' footsteps leading into the Red Sox home dugout in oh, 1987. Oh, that's a reference, I guess. Yeah. He always ran oh. exactly the same number oh. of steps from third base okay. to the dugout when he was going from being on the field uh, at third base to when it's your turn to hit, okay. you know? Uh-huh. And the last like four steps or so, he would land his feet exactly in the same place and they were worn down. Oh my gosh. And the bunny did the same thing by our dog, which okay. was a little bunny-shaped, well, little Wade Boggs left foot <laughs> bunny print. Okay, that went somewhere I wasn't expecting, but yes, that's true. <laughs> so this bunny, we, we would see it, like we'd come home and walk through the backyard to, you know, from the garage to our, our house and we'd see it there and it, it got used to us. Like it would, we, we would walk by and it wouldn't flinch at all. Like it would just stay put. We never got so close to get to pet it or anything like that, but like it was, it was used to us. We'd be sitting out on the deck during nice weather and it would just come out while we were hanging out out there and like roam around the yard and munch things. It was yeah. wonderful. Well, this year, like I think I think it was um, like February. We, we saw it this winter. Like mm-hmm. I, I, we had a, a big snow this winter and like I remember um, seeing it, seeing the the evidence of it having hopped across the basketball so court good. in the backyard because yep. like you know bunny snow prints yeah it was so cute lots of different crisscrossing bunny tracks yeah. in the snow going like just when it was going about yeah. its daily activities because the, the snow was out for like four days yeah yeah yeah. it was so, so good it was wonderful. but something i think it was february we stopped seeing the bunny and 
we had been telling so many people about the bunny because it was such a highlight in our lives. Like yeah. we would take photos and send it to my sister-in-law, your sister all the time. And like, Constantly. so, but, and then people, you know, people would ask, how's the bunny? Yeah. And we're like, well, we haven't seen it in a couple of weeks. And then they'd ask, how's the bunny? We're like, well, we haven't seen it in like two months. And like, yeah. we, 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 ha- we didn't see the bunny forever. And the, the story- The last bunny photo I have is February 11th. Yeah, that's what I th- was thinking. was like in February we saw it. So- you know, chances are decent that a bunny living here in urban Tacoma, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could have it could have encountered a vehicle while it was out exploring. It could have encountered wildlife that preys on bunnies. And clownered is when you encounter a clown. It, and clown- That's messed up. Did I say clownered? You did. I did. <laughs> Honestly, like if, if you're a bunny and you're like walking around a corner and you encounter a clown, imagine well, how terrifying. You just dropped out of a little bunny myocardialin. So Arction. true, yeah. I mean, could be there are coyotes around here. We yep. have bald eagles that are constantly circling the neighborhood. They will for swoop small. down for snacks. Yeah, for sure. So you know, that's a likely. We thought that was probably a likely demise. But the story we were telling ourselves, mm-hmm. because it made us feel better, was that our single bunny. We don't know if it was a a boy bunny or a girl bunny. No. But the story we were telling ourselves was that the that our single bunny found a partner bunny. And moved in with that partner bunny yeah. somewhere else, and they were going to make a family, a bunny family together. The end, happily ever after. And that maybe, was the story. And maybe move back here with the fam. Well, I mean, that was like a yeah. We I were thought like, that. You I did. told you, you about did. that. You did. You vocalized that wish. That's true. Mm-hmm. But mostly, we knew that the story. We thought the story we were telling ourselves was probably just <sighs> to make ourselves feel better, and that probably the bunny had met its demise. Yeah. However, however, and this brings us to the good news machine. Oh my gosh. We had some friends over yesterday on Memorial Day. We were hanging out outside on the deck. And Jamie just dug, dug this big trench for getting electricity to the deck. That's our, our next little project that we're doing. And, and I was looking toward the trench and I see motion and I look and I thought maybe it was a squirrel because it was squirrel sized. Yep. And I look over there and it's not a squirrel. It is a small baby bunny. It's a baby bunny. It's a baby It's a bunny. baby goddamn bunny. Tiny little ears. I mean, it's itty bitty. Like, it could fit in my hand. Like, sure. it is so, so freaking cute. And I so, like... Perfectly capable to be out and about on its own. Yeah. It's not. It's not like the helpless, like, still in the nest bunny. It's the next stage. Right. But still, like, the small end of that. So that was the only sighting we had yesterday. But we're like, oh my gosh, there's a baby bunny in our yard. This morning, I'm looking out our bathroom window and I'm like, oh my gosh, in our uncut, very tall grass <laughs> out there, there's this little thing. And it, I mean, it, it's here. I was out and back for a while today and it came out a bunch and was munching on the dandelions. And it retreats back under the deck, and it, meaning that it already yes. feels like the deck maybe is where it lives. I know. it's it. So, so I don't know enough about rabbits to know like when they're about to like pop out babies, like I don't even know how long like... They gestate. We could probably know. look this information up online. It's like, better to speculate, oh, really. Oh, yeah, sure. Remember before the internet when you just have to conjecture about bunny gestation lengths and you may never know? Just you and your eight-year-old friend would be like, I think it's four months. And then you'd meet like a fifth grader who'd be like, no, it's three months. You'd be like, it's three months. And it's actually like five days or something. Like yeah. nobody knows. Right, right. But 
I don't know how long a bunny gestation period is, and I don't know what they do, but maybe they just, we had noticed Bun Bun was getting kind of fat right before we stopped seeing it, and maybe it was filling up on grass so it could go lie under the deck and be pregnant, and maybe there's a bunch of baby bunnies. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not seen, the same bunny we're seeing. Maybe we've seen multiple baby maybe bunnies. Maybe every time we see a bunny and we think it's the same one, it's a different little bunny, it and there's three be. or four of them. It could be. I, my fantasy is that we're going to just have a family of bunnies mm -hmm. that hangs out in our backyard together, and I hope that that's what happens. Oh but it's such good news. Like, it was honestly really sad when we stopped seeing the bunny. Like, it was just a little bit of magic yeah. that really kind of helped us get through some of our tougher days yep. this winter, honestly, and, yep. and the last for the last two years. And so when it was gone, it was like, oh, it was really nice to have a bunny for a while, but yeah. I'm really sad it's gone. Like... This is such good news. It's it's the best news. We've gone on and on about the baby bunny, but you understand now how important this is yeah. to us. <laughs> yeah. And also it's a baby bunny. Theoretically, it's gonna be around for a while. This is just a this is just a bunny podcast now. <laughs> Get used Excellent. to it. Get ready for it. Excellent. Get excited for it. Yeah, totally. Everyone needs some good news right now. And the baby bunny is the good news we needed. And hopefully it's a good news you needed. Oh my gosh, it's so freaking cute. Man. Yeah. Oh, such good news. Such good news. Well, Jamie, will you help us get less dumb? Class? Anyone? Anyone? I can do that. I have a very interesting and very nerdy piece today uh, that I actually learned from, from uh, Huffington Post. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's hear it. When they're not doing garbage news, they're doing like Human interest stuff. Awesome. And this is human interest. Okay. You know, and they're not that bad. I'm being a dick. <laughs> so they... Uh, published an article about something called ultra-conserved words. Ultra-conserved so, words. Ultra-conserved words. There's no hyphen, it's just a one word, ultra-conserved. In linguistics, ultra-conserved words are words that go way the hell back, that have been conserved through history in something approaching a recognizable form. Okay, so like, I mean, how long has the English language been around? Do you have any idea? I don't have any idea. Let's... You, Let's not go there. So, uh, excuse me. No, I just hear that's a detour I don't have any answers to. It's derailing me immediately. I'm just going to proceed with what I was going to talk about. Fine. Okay. So, here is the basic deal there are shared words with similar sounds and meanings that often turn up over generations, obviously, but sometimes even millennia across very different languages. The existence of these shared words, which are also known as cognates, that's a fun vocab word. A cognate is a word that has the same linguistic derivation as another. So if you think Explain. about... Like, if you think about, like, mother in English mm -hmm. and mare, which is the French word for mother, uh -huh. they both share a similar root, but they're not the same word. So they are cognates. They're derived from the same I linguistic see. source. They're like okay. branches going downward on a like upside down tree. Right. Right. Because Romance languages, of which English and French are two. Or, yeah, mm -hmm. two. They share the same root. Many languages. Many, yeah. yeah okay. So, but I mean, it's, it's a percentage thing, right? So, historical linguists study language evolution using cognates the way biologists do using genes. Okay. Right? And so, for example, like 50% of French and English words derive from a common ancestor, okay. like mare and mother, right? Okay. So, 50% shared between French and English. That number with English and German is closer to 70%, yeah. right? Indicating that while all three languages are related, English and German have a more recent common ancestor, right? right. right? Uh -huh. Super, super interesting. And so, so we're tracing back those common ancestors, what we're doing here with these ultra-conserved words? Uh, that's, a, that's basically it. Uh, you're working backward, uh, like you use 
known rules. Like P's often change to F's and T's often change to TH's, suggesting, okay. for example, that the Latin word pater is the father, if you will, of oh. the English word father. Right, Because right, right. P's change to F's and ah. T's change to TF's. So instead of pater, it's father. Right. It's exactly the same right. word, just the, 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 the sounds in the middle change. Okay. Right? Uh -huh. um, and so linguists use these known rules to work backward in time, uh, making a best guess at what mm -hmm. the proto-word might have sounded like. Then they look for evidence for mm -hmm. that. And they also track the rate at words change. Mm -hmm. uh, and using these what are known as phylogenetic principles. Okay. It's just, you know, just classifying. It's like a word family tree. That's exactly what yeah. it is, yeah. And some researchers have dated many common words as far back as 9,000 years ago, right? Okay. Like the ancestral language known as Proto-Indo-European, Okay. for example. Uh-huh. Lots of, when you get really way back in ancestral languages, like it doesn't have, like, it's not like it's... Dutch. It's like right. it's, it's proto-Indo-European, right? Sure, it's, sure. It's just a label that yeah. linguist historians have given Slapped it. Slapped on yeah. it, yeah. Uh, it's just a classification, really, sure. more than a name. Right, right, right. Um, so proto-Indo-European, for example, gave rise to languages including, but not limited to, Hindi, Russian, French, English, and Gaelic, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. as people move and bring, like, their words with them, like, they disseminate around and mm -hmm. get merged with, like, the words that other people brought from the places they were coming from, mm -hmm, you know? Because mm -hmm. everyone's always moving around all the time. So, uh, there was this study that was done uh, back in like, I want to say it was like 2005. I'm not like seeing it right here. No, 2007. Uh, and they found, the, these people studying this, that most words have about a 50% chance of being replaced by a completely different word every two to 4,000 years. Like, words okay. will just like just get replaced okay right but some are conserved yeah but and some words uh and just some examples are i you hear how not and the two as in the number two uh -huh. are replaced only once every ten thousand or even maybe twenty thousand oh, years right okay, okay so there's some words that have just lasted longer so that was from the 2007 study. They kind of knew this. They did a new study. Okay. Uh, they broadened their hunt over the last 15 years okay. to uh, cognates from seven major language families, including Indo-European, Eskimo, Altaic, which uh, comprises many Oriental languages. Mm -hmm. That's not racist. It literally means languages of the Orient. Right. Right. Uh, which is known as the Orient, as we learned in a Let's Get Less Dumb last year, because maps used to be oriented toward the east right. before they standardized toward north, yeah. aiming upwards. Whoa, yeah. mind blowing. Whoa, whoa, yeah. So, uh, and uh, there's another uh, language family known as Chuchki uh, Kamchatkan. Okay. I'm probably not saying that right, it's but it's okay. a group of non-Russian languages around Siberia. Okay. Just like, it's it's like Eskimo, but for Russia. Okay. Um, And so, like, they used a lot of these more, like, fiddly... So these are, like, languages that are, that that were happening all over the globe that yeah. weren't necessarily... And some of them persist to modern day, like Eskimo, sure. and some of them totally don't, like Chuchki Kamchatkan, right, right, <laughs> which right. I'm, again, not pronouncing uh -huh. right. Um, and so the, all those languages I just mentioned have been proposed, it's been proposed that they might actually be part of an ancient super family, uh, which has been dubbed Eurasiatic. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Okay, very interesting. So, again, using only the words frequency and part of speech, this model uh, successfully predicted, like, and when they say successfully predicted, mm -hmm. they can verify this mathematically. Like, they can corroborate this from multiple angles, okay. right? That there, there's a core group of about 23 very common words, which are used to this day about once per 1,000 words in everyday speech. Okay. Just very, very common words, really? right? Yeah. Um, 
that not only persist within each language group, but also sound similar to the corresponding words in other families. Wow. Right? So take the word thou, for okay. example. Uh-huh. You know, ancient word going back to biblical times, we know this. It has similar sound and meaning across all seven language families. So in uh, in in French or Spanish, it's te or tu. Mm-hmm. That'd be Spanish or French, I guess. Mm-hmm. Te or tu. Uh, in Proto-Altaic, it's ti, t apostrophe i. Mm-hmm. In Proto-Chuchi-Kan, it's turi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And across the, all the other languages as well, there's some variation that's basically the same, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Still to this day, sounding the same. The words uh, not, that, we, who, and give were cognates in five of the seven families. Wow. And there are nouns and verbs, including mother, hand, fire, ashes, worm, <laughs> here, and pull that were shared by four. Oh my gosh. Going by the rate of change of these cognates, the model suggests that these words, these 23, 23 words, words uh-huh. have remained in a similar form since about 14,500 years ago. Holy moly. Across all major language families. Wow. How nuts is that? Which then, as they point out here, supports the existence of an ancient Eurasiatic language and it's now far-flung descendants. Right, right. That's so cool. Isn't that nifty? Yep. Wow. That's really neat. And so what it says here, the way they sum it up is, the model hints at a group of people living somewhere in Southern Europe as the glaciers were receding, Mm. speaking a language that might resemble those spoken today. Wow. It's astonishing, they they add, that spoken language can be transmitted through millennia with enough fidelity to give us information about our early history. 14 millennia. Whoa. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's so neat. Yes. That's so cool. How much less dumb do you feel? Very much? I feel really smart, which makes me very much less dumb. Thank you. Oh, I love it. So there you go, people. (laughs) Ultra-conserved words. We have learned some linguistics today. So fun. So now we're going to take another turn and let's get less dumb, and we're just going to go ham. Uh, Yeah, I've got... With Shannon. I have a whole bunch of stuff for let's get less dumb today. So, you know, last week uh, we we spent some of the, our podcast talking about the the shooting in Uvalde, Texas at the school. Yeah. And we shared feelings about that. We, it, was, it was still really early days in terms of like finding out specifics about what happened. We learned about it an hour and a half before we right. recorded the podcast. It was brand new. Right. So, and, and you know, I'm sure uh, as we have, a lot of our listeners have spent the last week keeping up with the, you know, the the unfolding news from that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine a lot of folks are having conversations with people in their lives or on social media or whatever about, about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you've encountered some of these <laughs> arguments that Jamie said that he had with folks online uh-huh. who didn't really come in good faith. Um, but I just thought it would be instructive because like, to, to use our Let's Get Less Dumb segment in the podcast today to just get less dumb about gun facts, gun reform facts, yeah. and also just facts about the debate in general. Because I think that that so much of this, like so much of, of our conversations about this issue, like a lot of these hot button issues, quote unquote, get so confusing because there's a side of this issue. There are people on one side of this issue who have a vested interest 
in all of us being confused and wrapped around the axis, the axle on it, because then nothing gets done about it. Right. So the more clear we can be about what's true, yep. I think the better armed we can be in actually being advocates for change. Yes. Right? So that's my point in, in doing all this. Great. And it's not just all like facts. It's just stuff that I have like over the last week has come across my radar that was like, some of it was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's really helpful information. Or, oh my gosh, I had never thought of it that way. That's really helpful information. So I'm just going to share these things with you. Wonderful. And hopefully it will be helpful to you as well, okay? So let's start off here. Um, first of all, this, this fact um, has been floating around. It astonished me when I heard it. Uh, in 2020, guns became the number one cause of death for children and teens in yes. America. yeah. Car accidents had been number one for the 60 years prior to that. Yeah. Guns have, since 2020 now, overtaken as number one, and it's shooting upward. It's not, it's, not like, it's not like it's just because car safety has gotten so good. No. It's also, and that is part of the trend mm -hmm. line, but it's, it's largely because gun violence is getting so bad. Yeah, it's not like if you plot them on a graph, gun violence is going down, but cards are going down faster. Like The gun violence line is going up and to the right. It is. It, the number one cause of death in America for teens and kids is guns. Just take a moment to take that on board. Wild. It, it's, a, it's, it's appalling. Yeah. Yeah, moving on. I don't have much else to say about that unless you do. No, it's fine. Okay, that's fine. Um, here's another fact that was jaw-dropping for me. Uh, this one, uh, I pulled a, a, just a link from uh, an article in Scientific American. Um, and it's just, there's there's just one line that I'm going to, and if you, we could put this the link to this article in the show notes if you want to read more about it. Um, but there's just this one line in the article is talking about, um, again, like, deaths of children and mm -hmm. teens in America related to guns. The science is abundantly clear. More guns do not stop crime. No. Guns kill more children each year than auto accidents. We mm -hmm. just learned that again. And here's the line. More children die by gunfire in a year than on-duty police officers and active military members. Huh. Children. In the United States of America, more children in the U.S. die by guns each year than on-duty police officers and active military members. You know what the number one cause of death was for cops for the last two years? COVID. COVID. Because they won't fucking wear their masks. Right. Right. And that's a tangent. Totally. But, but here's the thing. Our children are dying more by guns than Cops and people in the military. Yeah, that's I, just bonkers. It's bonkers. So when people try to say that it's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge it's, deal. It's literally, for kids, the biggest deal. Right, right, right. Astonishing. It was the second biggest deal. Now it's the first biggest deal. Right. This next, this next fact... It's more it's less than a fact. It's more that more of just like a new understanding of a new sort of approach to understanding the debate side of this whole thing. This was this great Twitter thread that um, I came across. Uh, Aaron Huertas is the person who tweeted it. Um, 
I think he's maybe a, a, a science data and elections is, is what he's into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but he's got this brief thread on this, this word called agnotology. And I think I'm saying that word right? Yeah. Agnotology and gun violence. So agnotology, let's first of all define the word. He defines it as the cultural production of ignorance. Yeah. Okay? Like if you think about like the, the roots, it's like the study of what we don't know. <laughs> right. But, but in this case, it's not just the study of it. It is the production yeah. of ignorance. It yeah. is producing an ignorance culturally. Yeah. For a purpose. And yes. here's what we're going to get to. And, and So he goes on, he says, science historian Bob Proctor and linguist uh, Ian Bull invented the term agnot agnotology. <laughs> it applies to uh, tobacco and fossil fuels, but it's useful for understanding the gun lobby too. For tobacco, producing ignorance required a propaganda apparatus mm -hmm. that cast doubt on the link between smoking and lung cancer. Mm -hmm. Remember when they were like, oh no, smoking, it probably doesn't cause lung cancer. Yeah. It's fine. We've um, been calling them a coffin nails for the 20s for surely unrelated reasons. Right, totally. <laughs> uh, the propaganda apparatus also uh, shielded tobacco producers and sellers from scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And it attempted to shift debates to focus on individual responsibility, right? So the responsibility didn't lie with the people who are producing the cancer sticks. The responsibility lies with the individuals who choose to use the cancer sticks. That's right. You should quit right. smoking. It's a personal choice. Right. Also, it's your personal freedom, right? right? Freedoms always get brought right. into this. Totally. You have the personal freedom to smoke. Mm -hmm. We're not taking away your freedoms. Mm -hmm. But we're not saying that cigarettes cause cancer, Right. In fact, we're saying they don't cause cancer. <laughs> but if you're personally concerned about whether they might cause cancer for you personally, then you personally should quit smoking. Right. And, and that's where it ends. It's all a smoke screen, though, yeah. right? Same for the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. For fossil fuel producers, the playbook was the same and involved many of the same people. Cast doubt on the link between burning fuels and climate change. Shield oil and local and coal companies, excuse me, from scrutiny. Yep. Shift responsibility to consumers mm -hmm. rather than energy policy. That whole idea of like, if you just recycle enough, yeah. then you can save the planet. And, and so no. what we have now is thousands of warehouses all over the country. I mean, acres and acres and acres big, full to the brim with recycling that no one wants and there's nowhere to put and because it was never the solution. We shouldn't have been making the shit out of plastic in the first place. Right, right. And 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 the all of us could could be doing perfectly at conserving energy, conserving our use of fossil fuels. It, all of us as individuals, if we did it perfectly, we would still not be making a dent in the issue because 70% of global global carbon emissions come from the, the source of those are the corporations that are that are producing this stuff. It's yeah. nothing we can't as individuals individual individualize our way out yeah. of this. I remember when we were living in Southern California, they would have droughts, and they would be like, "You can't water your lawns, right?" Right. right? And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, personal responsibility. If we all band together, we can help the drought. We can fix the drought. But then it came out that like corporate interests use like something like 80% of the water that right. gets used in the state of California. Totally. And they were trying to get consumers, like, like end users, people watering their lawns, whatever. If you can just reduce your water usage 15%, take a shorter shower. You know, they're telling right. us shit like this. Right. So if you think about it, you're trying to reduce the 20% that, that, that non-corporations use mm -hmm. of the water, 15%. Mm -hmm. You multiply those together, that's 3%. Right. It's not going to do a goddamn thing. Right, right. It's but all... if you actually make corporations change how they use water, 
you can actually do something about it. But we have. But we don't. But we count out of corporations in America, and we, we deflect onto individuals. Well, the reason that we have done that is because we have been taught ignorance. We have been this ignorance of this very fact has been has been engineered by, by the same corporations <laughs> exactly. we're talking about. And it, yeah. and it applies to the gun lobby as well. So going on with it, with Aaron Huertas's thread here, he says, these are all bad faith strategies meant to obfus obfuscate, excuse me, obfuscate. That's a hard word to say. Mm -hmm. They're all bad faith strategies meant to obfuscate, delay action, and confuse what are straightforward political arguments about harmful products. Um, the gun lobby's legal tactics also rely on a form of alternative scholarship, very similar to tobacco uh, and the fossil fuel industries, laundering their own research into the relevant literature. Uh, so, like they've got their own, you know, think they've tanks. got their own their own think tanks that produce their own like skewed facts that 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 happen to align more with their goals, yeah. right? So agnotology manifests itself in some specific ways in the gun debate. Republicans and the gun lobby refuse to define assault weapon. Yeah. So yeah they, every, anyone listening to this has seen this on Facebook. Right. Like some totally devastated person will go on Facebook and just be like, we have to ban assault rifles. And it's obvious they're just devastated at the end of their rope. Yeah. And some fucking guy, always <laughs> a fucking guy, will come on there and be like, there's no such thing as assault rifles. AR stands for Armalite, you know? Yeah, so banning assault rifles isn't going to do define, anything. Like somebody literally said this on one of the things I posted last week. Yeah. It's like, define assault rifle. Go ahead, I'll wait. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, man. Like, as I pointed out last week in the midst of this, like rant that I was on, this extended rant, like everybody who's a lay person who doesn't know much about guns, we all seem to have a pretty fucking good idea what assault rifle means. But the hardcore gun nuts, for some strange reason, <laughs> seem to find it very confusing and hard to get their arms around. It's not confusing. They're trying, they're using this tactic that yeah, we're talking about right it. here. They're trying to, to obfuscate the debate. They're trying to delay in the action. Obfuscate is an intransitive word, but oh, I take your okay. point. But you see what I'm trying to say? Like, like they're 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 being like, well, you technically da, 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 da. they're just trying to derail the conversation yeah. that would make any progress on this because of course we all know what assault weapons means. Yeah. Uh, there may be a technical definition. I don't care. And I'm certainly not going to discuss the finer details, the finer distinction between an assault weapon and the weapon used on those kids last week that made it so they had to do DNA swabs of their parents to identify their bodies. Yeah. We all know. We all know. Everyone we knows. No. Yeah. Right? So th this idea that they, they place this bad faith rhetorical burden back on the anti-gun violence mm -hmm. advocates by doing this, mm -hmm. right? He goes on, gun culture is technical and the gun lobby encourages supporters to gatekeep debates and pick apart imprecise language. They like they, they lay understanding of semi-automatic versus automatic rather than focus on access to guns themselves. Yeah. Like they... Again, same same sort of thing. They focus on individual rights to smoke, burn fuel, and stockpile weapons without acknowledge, without acknowledging individual and societal rights to clean air, a stable environment, and freedom from violence. Yeah, like they 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 put all the weight on the individual responsibilities and rights side of things without without looking at all at the societal responsibility Which and rights. Totally makes sense because right-wingers don't give a shit about society. Right. And in fact, you're trying to tear it all down structurally right. at the federal and state levels, mm -hmm. like governmentally speaking. Right. He goes on, he says, trying to drag opponents into debates about mental health, doors in schools, yeah. fatherhood, 
really anything that's not focused on guns. This is what this is what they're doing. And we've seen it over and over again this last week. The concept of agnotology is powerful because it precisely identifies the root structure and aim of these arguments. Mm -hmm. They are intended to prevent the public and policymakers from making decisions and are therefore fundamentally anti-democratic. So mm -hmm. I just thought it was important to, to like point that out. Like when you encounter these arguments, now you know what they are. They are on purpose trying to obfuscate the situation. Trying to derail. Trying to derail talking point, talking about it in any sort of productive way. Because they don't want to see any change. No. They are perfectly great with the status quo, which is unfettered access to killing machines for everybody in America. Yeah. Full stop. That's what they're after. And I think probably the reason they're doing this is because they're terrified that it will change. And I want just to insert mm -hmm. in the into this conversation, mm -hmm. the idea that this can change. Yeah. Like anyone who thinks that the Second Amendment is forever mm -hmm. should, ch should check out the 21st Amendment. We're going to get to the, the amendment here in a minute on okay. my list. Okay. So hold that thought. All right. Um, I just, I saw this other tweet that was related to the agnotology thread that I thought was really poignant. People, this, this is uh, uh, Jamar Tisby, a doctor, a PhD. I'm not sure in what, I didn't write that down and I apologize. But he says, people treat gun control an awful lot like they treat racism. They avoid possible systemic and policy remedies and instead individualize the crisis as if it is solely a matter of individual choice and behavior. It's the same playbook as for yeah. racism too, right? Like, like you hear on Fox News, there's mm -hmm. no systemic racism. It's just there's individual bigots. Right, right. So let's talk about the history of the interpretation of the Second Amendment, first of all. So let's. the Second Amendment, mm -hmm. can you say it by heart? I didn't write it down. It is a well-regulated militia uh, being, necessary for being necessary for the defense for the national defense. Uh, something something something. Wah! I like guns. <laughs> no 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 no. Not at all. Actually. Right. Okay. We actually have to look it up. <laughs> all right. Fine. I will. It's oh, really short. It's very short. A well-regulated militia. Yeah. Being necessary. A well a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The end. the end. That's, That's the it. entirety of the Second Amendment. It's the whole text. It starts with a well-regulated militia. Mm -hmm. They didn't have an army back in those days. The way that they defended the state was people yeah. just showing up. It was like a volunteer fire department, but for the army. Exactly, yeah. right? So that is the, that's what the Second Amendment was when it was established. Yeah. For a couple of centuries, mm -hmm. that's how it was interpreted. Mm -hmm. That it was in service of, of a, a well-regulated militia. And eventually, a well-regulated militia wasn't even necessary anymore we once army. we actually had a, a, an official military. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and even up until the middle of the 20th century, the, the interpretations across the board for the Second Amendment had nothing at all to do with an individual's right to bear arms. No. In fact, and this was a talking point, this was a, this was a strategy employed by the gun lobby mm -hmm. in the mid-20th century. They began and with the NRA. Um, the, the NRA really, the NRA used to be an organization dedicated to gun safety. Yeah. Like that. It, like it used, a hunting club, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they it, would do, they would do like, 
you could like learn how to shoot at NRA events and stuff like right. that, in like the, riflemanship. In the middle of the 20th century, it became a political organization. Yeah. It was not always that, but it became a political organization. And they began with this argument about like this individual right to bear arms. And I saw this astounding video mm-hmm. this week uh, that was circula- circulating. Um, and I can't think of the guy's name now, the Supreme Court Justice. Warren Burger. Warren Burger. He was the chief justice of the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. a in, conservative. In the 70s, appointed by Nixon. Appointed by Nixon, yes. He was, so a conservative. He was not, uh, yeah, he was not a, he was not a, lefty. a lefty liberal, guys. No. He was a conservative justice. He was a Nixon conservative. Right. And to be clear, like Nixonian conservatism is the, it traces directly to where we're at with conservatism yes. these days. Quote, unquote, conservatism. It traces the geo, the the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. So Warren Burger was on the video talking about how this uh, NRA talking point, this NRA interpretation, quote unquote, of mm-hmm. the sec- of the Second Amendment as being one where individuals have the right to bear arms. He called it the greatest fraud mm-hmm. ever committed against the American people. Mm-hmm. That that point of view. The Second Amendment means that individuals has the right to bear arms. This conservative Supreme Court chief justice said that that point of view was the biggest fraud ever to be committed upon the American people. Mm-hmm. So, and this is in the 70s. Yeah. Okay, this is recent history. The, so, like, when people, you know, come at you with the argument, well, it's a Second Amendment, it shall not be infringed. Yeah, the <laughs> founders know? intended me to have an AR. No, they didn't. I mean, also, when the Second Amendment was written, the most powerful weapon that you could bear, ar- with which you could bear arms was a musket. The most powerful arm you could bear, I think, is the Thank construction you. you're looking Thank for you. there. Yeah. But it was a musket, which... Can you describe muskets? Sure, I, you absolutely. Have probably so a better understanding than I do. It's like a gun kit. So, <laughs> right? So you've got the gun, but like the, it's critical to know that the bullet was not around. The bullet had not yet been invented when the Constitution or the Bill of Rights of course. were written. Yes. The bullet wasn't invented until the mid 1800s, uh-huh. uh, 1850s. I can't okay. remember the exact date, but around there. Okay. Uh, so, like a bullet, if you think about it, is like a casing. Uh-huh. It's like a little sausage skin and inside that little sausage is are, are two things one the projectile mm-hmm. and two the gunpowder mm-hmm. right the accelerant that's actually yeah and then at the end there's typically like something that when you hit it with a very quick force like the hammer or whatever mm-hmm. fuck it's called i'm not a gun person right like a sociopath yeah you uh it, it's got a little charge in it like a little thing that you hit it and it goes boom <laughs> like a right. little mini boom uh-huh. if you've ever seen a shotgun shell lying around like if you grew up rural like i did you would just see shotgun shells lying around from hunters or whatever mm-hmm. and they have that little at the end of it just look it's like a silver size of a penny or, or brass i mean size of a penny and in the center of that penny size thing there's like a raised thing and that's mm-hmm where the little charge is. And you hit that, it ignites the gunpowder and sends a projectile, which could be a, a single bullet. Uh, it could be a, a bunch of little pellets, like mm-hmm. buckshot, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you used to have to do that all yourself. So the in way it worked in a musket, like you had to stand on its end. You had to stand the butt end on the ground with the barrel pointing upwards. Uh-huh. And you had to pour from a little pouch you were carrying in your pocket, <laughs> like literally in your pocket, yeah. the right amount of gunpowder. Not too much, not too little. Because if there's too much, it like right. it, it won't go. If there's too little, it won't go. It's 
but you do it yeah. by hand. There's maybe a little measuring cup. I don't know. It's complicated. You pour it in right. there. It takes a while. It's a fiddly thing to do. And then you have to like pack you have it to, down. Then you have a tamper. Yeah. yeah. You have you got to get your like stick with the like the flat end. It's mm. not a stick. It's like made of metal or whatever. Sure, sure, you know. Sure. But it's like another thing you got to carry around with you, and you got to jam it in there and pack, 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 pack. Because if the gunpowder is too loose, again, it won't go. Right. You know what I right. mean? But if it's too tight, it won't go. So you got to make sure to pack it just the right amount. Right. And then you put the ball in. Like a little, like a mini cannonball kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, like a little round metal ball, okay. right? Uh-huh. And then you pick the whole thing up. I guess you don't let the ball fall out. I don't know. Can you not shoot downwards? I don't, I'm not even sure how that even works. Know. Yeah. And then... If everything's gone right, when you pull that hammer, oh, there's got to be a flint too, right? Uh, right there's got to right. be the thing that when the hammer strikes yeah. it, it makes a spark. Right. It's all so sketchy. Right. You know what I mean? Because like, there's all these things that couldn't but, work. Like, here's all the things that could go wrong in a musket. You pull the trigger, the hammer hits the flint. Maybe the flint doesn't make enough of a spark. Okay, so then it doesn't go. Maybe it does make a spark, but the gunpowder is not enough or too much or not tight enough packed or too tightly packed. Right. It doesn't go under any of those four circumstances. Right. Everything has to go right for the thing to go. And then also, like, the bore wasn't, like, the, I don't think bores were rifled back in the day either. The reason it's called a rifle is because it's 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 carved in spirals oh. on the inside to give it a spiral twist. You know how, like, if you just oh, try to I throw... no idea. Oh, yeah. Like, you know how when you throw a football, you've got to snap your wrist so it spins yes. in a spiral motion? Right. That's how it cuts through the air and, and maintains the trajectory you want to maintain. Oh, my gosh. That's why rifles are called rifles. Rifling is the act of carving that pattern to the inside of the rifle. Oh, like, my you gosh. bore it out in a spiral. I had no idea. Yeah. So you don't even think a musket was... Like I can't I remember, maybe it was, but it was all very, it was all done by hand. It was all super imprecise. But the point it was a thing made by hand, packed by hand, shot by hand, and like, and, and it was really end, hard to do. And at the end of all of those multi steps that take a while to do, you have one shot. Yeah. You and then you have shot. to do all that again if you want to take a second shot. Yeah. Compared it's to like 20, the, 30 seconds between shots if you're working fast. And also, it's incredibly inaccurate. Right. So, compared to the weapons we have today, obviously, we're just in an entirely different league. Yeah. And also you can shoot the, an AR-15 accurately at about 23 rounds per minute. I looked this up. You can pull the trigger faster than that, but your accuracy will be really bad. But you can do it with high accuracy about once every two seconds. More than once every, no, once every three right. seconds almost. Right. But that's like boom, mm -hmm. boom, so boom. The, these, it's fast. These arguments about the Second Amendment are all BS. They're horseshit. The, and frankly, the Supreme, our current Supreme Court... Um, well, it wasn't actually the same people sitting on the Supreme Court, but a few years back, the conservative majority on the Supreme Court kind of decimated uh, gun gun uh, control laws with a decision that was regarding the Second Amendment that was based on this NRA fraud talking point yeah. of you know the individual right to bear arms. Yeah. The conservatives on the court now are inclined to there's a there's a decision that court watchers actually thought was supposed to be coming this week. Mm -hmm. But suddenly now there's no decisions coming out this week, and they're wondering if they're just holding off on this decision a little bit. How fucked up until, is it that we have a Supreme Court who knows that what they're doing is so bad that they have to time it for when things aren't so bad in the country that everyone will burn it down? This, they, they're expected to release this decision that would um, roll back, like in our, like roll back the rights of states to do gun control in their in our, in our own states. So like in, in Washington State, re regulating uh, like open, open carry, carry yeah. right? So they're coming after, you know, gun reform left and right. But all the, this whole argument that this this is based on, this this based on this individual right to bear arms, 
is essentially just made up. Yeah. It was made up by the NRA in the in the mid mid 20th century and it's been carried to the nth degree to where we are now and accepted as fact. It was not it was not this is not for the majority of our countries this is not how that that amendment was interpreted. It just wasn't. It was that the the gun lobby wanted it to be a different way, so they just started saying that enough times that enough people believed them and now we've all just bought into this absolute lie that the second amendment means that each of us Americans has the right to bear arms. Yeah. No, it actually doesn't mean that. Yeah. And what were you saying about the 21st amendment? You, you wanted no, to, yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, you know, the 21st amendment repealed the 18th amendment. <laughs> That's how that works. Like they're if you look at the text, amendments. they're called amendments. It's in the name, right? <laughs> but like, if you look at the text of the 21st amendment, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but it basically says, the 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America is hereby repealed. That might be exactly it. It is You it. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the 18th, 18th Amendment, of course, is prohibition of, of alcohol. Right. Uh, but it got repealed. And guess what? We could absolutely have a 26th Amendment that says the Second Amendment of the Constitution <laughs> of the United States of America is hereby repealed. It's true. It's a thing that can happen. And it's also, a long shot, but it can happen. Also, we would we don't need to do that because the current interpretation is bunk anyway. But point taken, right? Mm. Like all of this and our entire our entire system of government was set up to be changed to suit the country better over time. Yeah. Because of course, people in the 1700s had no idea. <laughs> What was going to be required to run a country in the year 2022? Yeah. This is why originalism, as practiced by Federalist Society judges and justices, is such bullshit. Yeah. Because, like, do they not even think the Bill of Rights should be entertained? Mm -hmm. It seems like maybe no. Well, I, here, I've thought But in the original Constitution, they explicitly, in the framework of the Constitution, like, laid grounds for an amendments process. So in the very structure of the original Constitution, they explicitly said, we understand that things might need to change. Here's <laughs> how you do that. Right. I have, a, I have a thought about that, and it actually links to my next point. So okay. I'm going to segue into that. Okay. And it, yes, these people who say that they are originalists, we should interpret the Constitution as it was originally written and no more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like they're... they're that's, it's bad that's, faith That's bullshit. what they're saying. It is bad faith. And I was thinking about this whole bad faith thing because I, you know, you hear a lot about the word hypocrisy when when you when you are involved in like gun debates. And I saw this tweet floating around this week that talked about hypocrisy. I'm just gonna read the tweet and then I'm gonna reflect in a moment. But this person had said, um, "They hope you don't notice when it comes to abortion. They say the sanctity of life outweighs the individual rights of the mother, but when it comes to guns, they say that individual rights outweigh the sanctity of life." Yes. Hypocrisy brought to you by corruption and avarice. Mm -hmm. And I get the point the person's trying to make, totally get it. But I don't think it's hypocrisy at all because hypocrisy yeah. is the idea of, of having two, holding two beliefs that are in conflict with each other. That are inconsistent. These are consistent. The consistency, however, has nothing to do with the beliefs. It's not ideological, it's it about is, power. It, exactly. They are merely convenient and disposable arguments. Same with the originalism thing. Yeah. Convenient and disposable, disposable arguments that serve their one true belief, which is that they believe that they want they want to see entrenched white domination of hierarchy forever in this country. Yeah. That's their one true belief. Right. And it all goes back to that. Yeah. Like, I think that it's really useful in this particular situation, talking about this, you know, this gun conversation in our country, 
but it's useful in every other conversation. It's useful in the reproductive rights conversation. It's useful in the civil rights, rolling back of civil rights. It's useful in the rolling back of voting rights and voter suppression that's happening. It is useful in the broader talk of fascism in general. It, if, you, if you look through, look at all of those things through the lens of power, mm-hmm. That's what it all goes back to. And so, again, they're trying to obfuscate things by saying, oh, I have this belief in the sanctity of life when it comes to abortion, but I have this belief in the right to bear arms when it comes to guns. And like, even getting caught up and spun up in the idea that of the quote-unquote hypocrisy of that. That's more, what's that word? It's more agnotology. Agnotology. Rise above it. Don't get spun up in the hypocrisy arguments. Don't get spun up in in all of that. Look at everything through the lens of power. It's a power grab. And it it makes everything just lock into place and make sense. Yeah. And And then we know what we're fighting. And it also implies that what we need to do is just figure out how to get power. Yes. Yes, that is absolutely how, how true. To, how to marshal and exert power. Right. We're not going to negotiate our way out of this. We're not going to... No. We're not going to find 10 votes across the aisle for this. No. Because it's a power grab. I know. The last thing I have here is from uh, is just a section from the newsletter I got from Indivisible today. Mm-hmm. Um, and Indivisible, if, the, if you aren't familiar, it's an organization that started up uh, right at the beginning of the Trump presidency um, to help educate people on how to get involved personally in the political process, calling your members of Congress, calling your senators and advocating for, you know, the stuff you want to see happen. And they've they've turned into a really powerful nationwide organization Mm -hmm. that grew from the grassroots um, in 2017. It was pretty awesome to see that grow. But they've they've always got these weekly... like action point emails, like here's some things you can do to advance this particular cause yeah. this week or whatever, right? So they were talking about the the gun stuff today, and I'm just going to quote their mm-hmm. this part of their newsletter. The reforms being proposed, so the, and I should back up. There are some, there have all there have been for decades <laughs> reforms proposed for controlling guns in sure, in America by Democrats. Yeah, and um, I mean, I mean, back in. 1996, was it? 94, when the assault weapons ban went into place? Mm-hmm. It was a bipartisan bill. Like, right. it was actually supported by people from both sides of the aisle right. um, because it was a good idea yeah. <laughs> and would make people more safe, and it actually did. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when the, in order to secure a few, the few more votes they needed to pass that at the time, they decided to not make that ban permanent, but it was going to sunset after 10 years. 2004. And so... Um, if it was going to need to, if it was going to continue, it would need to be renewed by Congress. Then, well, yeah. guess what? It wasn't because yep. by then the gun nuts had taken over the mm-hmm. Republican Party in total by that point. And so, and, and at that point, you can look at the data and you see gun deaths in the United States just shoot right up after the assault weapons mm-hmm. ban was over. You know, like it's it's all there <laughs> in, the, in the data. Um, but so there there've been there there's a ton of reforms that are on the table, and and it's from you know. Universal personal background checks on everybody who wants to buy a gun. Um, you know, limiting, make, making it illegal to own what we're calling assault weapons or semi-automatic rifles or whatever, but the kinds of killing yeah. machines that you just don't, the, the purpose of these machines is to kill humans. That's yeah. it. It's to shred human bodies to smithereens. Yeah. There's no reason for these to have a, a place in our no. society. There's just not. It's not for protection. It's not for hunting. It's not for... Sp- like, it's just... And if this is your hobby, find a new fucking hobby. Yeah. Like, come on. Totally. 
Like, I'm so sorry about your hobby, man. Yeah, you know. So, like, th- th- there there are several different kinds of of reforms uh, that, according here to this, uh, to lots of places I've seen, but this is just a, this is a succinct paragraph saying this: the reforms being proposed are wildly popular. Like th- that background check one, I believe it's something like ninety. Is it 94% of Americans? Everybody. 94% of Americans support universal background yeah. checks to buy a gun. Yeah. And like not Democrats, everyone, Republicans. percent yeah. of, I mean, and that's, and people have, they have an old past it because Republicans keep blocking these things, yeah. right? So uh, the reforms being proposed are wildly popular. Look down the long list of gun violence prevention policies and every single one of them has massive public support. Yeah. The only people who oppose them are gun zealots and MAGA Republicans bankrolled by the NRA. Our opponents in this fight are a small, radical minority. The vast majority of normal people support gun reform. And I'm saying this as one of our let's get less dumb items because it can feel in weeks like we've had this last week when we're talking about this with people in our lives, it can feel like, oh, half the country are gun nuts. No, No, not at all. No. In fact... Something like, like, it was, oh gosh. I know the statistics. Go ahead. 3% of Americans own 50% of the guns. Right. And that 50% of the guns is something like 133 million guns. It's insane. Right, so there's like 266 million guns in our country, but like 3% of the population, like 9 million people own those guns. Half of them. The average number of guns that one of these people owns is 17 guns. That doesn't sound healthy. Right. But it can feel, it can feel in moments like this that it's like the country is divided. It's not. It's not. Know that. Like, know that. When you're talking with people about this, when you're calling your members of Congress and your senators. 1-800-224-3121. Say it again. It's not 1-800. It's, it's a... No, 202-224-3121. Yeah. I'm doing this from memory. Let me we'll check. We'll put it in the, show, in the show notes for you also. Um, but know this. When you're talking about it, that the vast majority of people in this country support these measures to reform guns in our country. Yeah. It's not divided. It's not 50% of, of America thinks that, you know, pe- we should have unfettered access to killing machines. It's not at all. Like, and I, and I think that that's part of the image that the gun, gun nut MAGA Republican types want us to believe, they want us to believe that we're divided because then it's, it feels like it's a harder battle, right? Mm-hmm. They, they want us to feel like, like, it's, like it's equal, like it's, you know, mano a mano, you know, but it's not. There's, there's no, it's not an equal fight. We have the vast majority of, pe- of public opinion on our side yeah. to make changes that will make it so that stuff like happened at Rob Elementary School don't happen anymore. Yeah. We can change this. And it's important to know that what Shannon's saying in one sense doesn't matter at all because we have no power. So what we have to do is get power. We need to elect two, we need to hold on to every Democratic Senate seat that we have mm-hmm. and elect two more Democratic senators. We need to net out at plus two in this midterm and, election. And we need to keep the House. And we need to keep the House. So I want to make a challenge Because we need to, hold on, because okay. we need to be able to Get rid of the filibuster, mm-hmm. which we can do with 50 Democratic votes, votes but uh, I said boats because I was thinking about fucking Joe Manchin because <laughs> he lives on a boat like an asshole. So I'm sure that there are people who are assholes who live on boats. But for him to live on a boat, it's an asshole move because he's an asshole. 
<laughs> he and Kirsten Cinema refused to modify the filibuster mm-hmm. because they're in the pocket of horrible corporate interests. They're yeah. terrible humans and they're terrible politicians. Mm-hmm. They're Democrats in name only and they're not on our side. So uh, we need to work around them and the only way to work around them is to get two more Democratic Senate seats. So that's the goal. That's how we get power. Two, that and holding on to the House. Holding on to the House and getting 52 at least majority in the Senate this November. Yep. So I want to issue a challenge to everybody listening right now. If you care about this gun issue, if you care about reproductive rights, if you care about voting rights, if you care about not seeing our democracy slide all the way into the hands of a, a minority of fascists who want to rule this place yeah. under authoritarian rule. And who are getting close to being able to do it. Yep. This is the election that like, we can stave that off by working our asses off and and it's an uphill battle because voter suppression is already in place in a lot of places. Like it's yeah. it is, it's not it's not just like we have to work five times harder than we yeah. should have to work, right? Yeah. But my challenge. This is like those races where like you have your legs inside like a burlap bag <laughs> and the other person doesn't, and you right. have to race them. That's what it's like. That's what it's what it, that is what it's like. But I want to issue a challenge. If you care about these things, make a plan right now for how you're going to get involved personally in advancing uh, the election of Democrats in November. Yeah. If you live in a place where that's happening and there's a toss-up race, get involved locally. We have um, two Democratic senators here in Washington. I don't think either of them are up for election this year. They wouldn't be challenged in any significant way anyway. So we're going to give our time again to the state of Wisconsin where Mm -hmm. there is a Senate race happening. Pennsylvania needs your help too. Yeah, but there are other places around the country. I would encourage you, we'll put this link in the show notes as well, uh, Vote Save America. You can sign up for them, Mm -hmm. uh, their their newsletter to sign up for um, places around the country that do need help. And this is signing up to, you know, uh, to write letters, to make phone calls, to do text banking. Um, Like, Make a plan right now. If you care about this stuff, make a plan for what you can and will do in the next in the coming months to affect the outcome of the November election. Because mm-hmm. that is that is really all we need to that's all we can do. That's it. At this point. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Good Thanks. rant, sugar. Thanks for listening. Yeah. No, you know, it was not it didn't feel like a rant. Maybe I was maybe I was like sounding like I was ranting. But honestly, like these were it's reasonable these were items up. that this last week when they came across the radar, I'm like, you know what? That's helpful knowledge. That actually helps me know how I can act and move forward on this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I hope it was helpful for some of you too. Thank you for listening. Let's go on to uh, where's my gold star. And it is song day. It's a song day. And man, it's a great song. Do you want to uh, briefly set this up? I will briefly set this up. So the new song we put out last week is called I Am. It's the eighth song in our album project. And the challenge for this song, the journaling prompts um, that I gave myself were about the idea of power. Um, Because in the previous song, we talked about how listening, how getting still and listening to, when I listen to my own spirit and I listen to my feelings, they, they point me toward what my needs are and what my values are and that can help me determine how I can act. Mm-hmm. That, like Listening is the beginning of unlocking my power. My power is knowing how I can act and then acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I wanted to explore the idea of what, did it, what does it feel like to grab hold of that power? What does it feel like to actually use my agency, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, and so the questions that I asked myself were really just kind of basically like, what is, what is the idea of power within myself feel like in my body mm. and in my heart? Mm-hmm. Um, describe it. Well, I mean, no, this, I, no, that's what the oh, question that's was. what the question was. Yeah, the song's going to describe it because yeah. honestly, the the I did I just did some stream of consciousness journaling to these journal prompts, and pretty much the lyrics to the song are almost word for word from my journaling. Yeah, I mean, it's I, they're pulled directly from it. But one of the cool things that I discovered in the process of my journaling that I is maybe a concept that I had thought about before, but it hit me in a new way. That you know, and really this week in particular, you know, when we when we're talking about the idea of guns and people trying to, you know, institute authoritarian rule in this country, like all of that talk is is about power too, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a different kind of power. It is people who want to exert power over mm-hmm. others. And as we have seen, as we saw last week in Texas. As, as was illustrated there and so many other times, like the power over, the, the, the exertion of power over others always ends in destruction. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not real power because it destroys. And, and contrast that with power within myself. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then when I, when, I, when I stand in the power that I have within myself, I really feel like I'm able to see other people who know their own power too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I see them, um, I'm not, neither one of us are, are after power over each other, right? Right. And in that- Like they can coexist side by side. Exactly. And in that coexisting side by side, just the act of recognizing each other as powerful beings mm-hmm. is a destruction of the hierarchy that folks who want power over us are trying to keep up and maintain, mm-hmm. right? Like that small act of grabbing hold of my power within, recognizing other people who are doing the same thing, like let's multiply that by mm-hmm. millions and millions like little micro machines and we can change the world. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, if we can start seeing each other with those eyes, knowing and loving ourselves and seeing each other with those eyes, we really could change everything. And that's, the gist of this song, um, I hope. Like I've, I've actually, I was so nervous bringing it to Jamie because it's a spoken word type piece, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, un, it's not in my comfort zone to do that. I was literally sweating the day I played <laughs> my production demo for him, um, but since it's been finished, I've actually listened to it a whole bunch of times since then because I felt like it, it really did work for me on the level of like a, a pep, t- a personal pep talk. Yeah. Like a mantra when I really needed it like last week when I was, you know, in the depths of of really grieving what's been happening, mm-hmm. you know, around the country and, and in Texas. So this is I Am. I hope you enjoy it. I know who I am, I know who I want to be, I know I am worthy. 
mine and I owned up to my own life. I know who I am. I know what is good for me. There is nobody but me who can take responsibility. And I'm not looking for the path of least resistance. I do the work for the goodness that affirms my own existence because I am. your own power and it's drawing me in like water attracts water there's no higher or lower or competing over resources because we know how to love ourselves we are a flood and holy shit isn't that a total shift in this microcosmic scene you and i we are dismantling the rent system status quo that oppresses and harms we'll make a whole new world because I know who I am. I know who I am. Man, all meat, no filler. <laughs> <laughs> so can I have a gold star? Absolutely, you can get a gold star. <laughs> Thank you. I am under the impression that you also have a gold star petition today for an unrelated item. I actually do. So okay. I'll give a little bit of context. So, uh, got a project right now. The project is to run power from the house to the deck, the, the, the bunny house. The bunny house. <laughs> the elaborate bunny house. It needs electricity. They're busy in there. Uh, no, it's for us. It's to power the lights. And also we want to have like a power outlet so we can uh, run a little like water fountain to maybe entertain more birds. And maybe there'll be a low enough water level that the bunnies can drink out of it. But maybe we'll have to build them little <laughs> steps because they're very small. I'm thinking it through. Yeah. So anyway. Power. The corner of the house is about 12 feet from where on the deck. It's basically a straight shot right there. So I dug a trench a few days ago. That I should get a gold star for you, that too. Because you God do. Damn, you get a gold star. Wow, definitely thanks. for digging that trench. It's two feet deep, guys. It was it's it was a massive amount of work. You should see the stack of rocks that he had to dig out of the dirt. Like that's by itself just. It was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's uh, twelve feet long, precisely twenty four inches deep. Because that's code. Uh, I would have done twenty two if I could. I couldn't. Uh, and like eight inches wide. It's really interesting. I got right. a trench shovel and a mattock. And I just went straight down, and it looks really trippy. And I'm really concerned the bunnies will fall on it, but so far they seem to be doing great. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're running power. And so this is not just a simple, we're going to run a cord and do one outlet because I can't do anything simply. So we, we're, we figure we're doing the project. So power comes out of the side of the house. There's going to be a box right there that we can plug Christmas lights into. That's going to be right. new for us. We can have Christmas lights. Big win. So exciting. Right. There will be a remote console, control switch from inside the house for that. Right. Then it goes, uh, there, uh, there's wire that goes through the trench back up and now we're on the on the deck, the pole that goes up the deck. And at the bottom there's going to be like a, an outlet. Then halfway up there's going to be a light switch and up top is the outlet that the light switch controls that the lights will go in. Can we just say it's a complex yeah. scheme. Yeah. Like it's pretty involved and neither one of us are electricians. No, not at all. But had to figure out how to wire it. And so I did some research this afternoon uh, and I just taught myself a little bit about how electrical wiring works. And 
Then you made a diagram. I made a diagram. I made an entire wiring diagram because one thing I saw had wiring diagrams. I was like, I should make a diagram so I understand what I'm doing. Yes. You know? What a great idea. Yeah. And so then I just have to follow. It's like, it's just like Lego instructions at that point. You just put it all together. It's not a big deal, right? Uh And so we have next door neighbors over the fence. Who are electricians. They are a married pair of master electricians. So I called Elena uh, and I was like, hey, could I just have a couple minutes of your time? I made a diagram. I'm sure it's totally messed up, but maybe you can tell me how it's messed up. You know, Uh I showed her the diagram Uh and her response was, this is perfect and would exactly work. And And that was it. Oh, and I have third year apprentice apprentices who wouldn't be able to have done this. Ah! Good job, Jamie. (laughs) So no big deal. Uh, Jamie diagrammed a whole scheme for laying electrical to our deck and it's actually correct. And so we got all the parts today and later this week, hopefully we'll, we'll actually start putting the pieces together and you'll, you'll get another gold star once we're actually able to turn the lights on. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) But for today, gold star for you. Thanks, baby. Really appreciate it. So excited. My literally my first wiring diagram, kind of complicated. Perfect. It's Just so nailed. Good. I understand electricity. It turns out, and I'm actually like I really, from what I learned today, do feel like I understand a lot more than I did this morning. Amazing. So I'm also getting less done. There's a lot of tie-ins here. It's so good. Really good. So good. So uh, cool. Let's, let's cruise into the inspiration station. Inspiration station. I'm under the impression that you have something quick to inspire us with. I do. I okay. Do. What is it? So. Um, we watch things on the weekends, like movies and shows on Netflix and things like we that. We do. And one of the shows that we started recently watching is this new David Letterman interview show, mm-hmm. which is just lovely. Yeah, so my next, human. My next guest needs no introduction mm-hmm. is what it's called. And it's just David Letterman with his like post, post-nightly TV show beard that he grew out, mm-hmm. which is just so old man and yep. great. It's yep. wonderful. And he's interviewing celebrities of all different kinds um, in this show. And he's, he's what I love about his interviews is he, two things. He, he's genuinely curious about people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and it comes across in the questions that he asks and he genuinely wants to connect with them. Like it's really wonderful. Like the the interviews are fun Mm -hmm. and funny and compassionate and deep. deep. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah. So last night, uh, at the end of our weekend, uh, we our long weekend, we watched one of the episodes and it was his interview with the basketball star, Kevin Durant. And I don't know anything about Kevin Durant except no. for that he plays, I, I know more now because we watched this interview, mm-hmm. but he plays for the, the team in Brooklyn. The Nets. The Nets. Um, and he's like, and then I remember when we were visiting your family, I think that your dad said something about how Kevin Durant is like the best player in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. Like, and and maybe has been for a while. Like mm-hmm. he's a big mega star, right? He's won three gold medals in the Olympic team mm-hmm. for basketball. Although all you got to do to do that is just be on the American yeah, team. Yeah, that's true. But, but three times, <laughs> yeah. that's a span of 12 years, yep. which is something. He's older for a basketball player now. He's been in the league for 15 years. Right. He's 33. Right. So... He said, so I, it was It was really lovely to get to know him a little bit in this interview, but he said something that's been rolling around my brain since then in the interview. And David Letterman asked him a question based on, I think, an, another interview that he had read about uh, uh, with Kevin Durant about this idea that Kevin Durant doesn't seek happiness. He's like, like being happy or trying to be happy mm-hmm. is not something that's important to him. And mm-hmm. David Letterman brought that up. And he's like, hey, could you, could you, you know, 
elaborate on that a little bit. And one of the, the things that Kevin Durant said in response was um, that I go after experiences. Mm -hmm. And he, he elaborated on that a little bit more. He said, you know, there are some experiences that I, I go after and maybe they weren't so good. And I, now I know not to do that again, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but that they're all, val essentially that they're all valuable when mm -hmm. he goes after experiences. And even in like going after quote unquote good experiences, like he's won a few different NBA championships, right? And, mm -hmm. and apparently the Nets are a really good team. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and have a chance at winning again this year, maybe. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I, I think the playoffs are happening now. Not really sure. Mm. But um, but David Letterman asked him, would you, would you like to win another championship? You know, I bet you'd like that again. And his response was, I'd like to have that experience again. It wasn't, it wasn't like, yeah, I want to win again. I want to get that. I want to get that. I want to have that experience again. That's interesting. It's just been rolling around my brain since we saw that. I'm like, I really love that philosophy. Like, yeah. I really uh, admire and appreciate not going after getting things or being happy, but going after experiences. Yeah. And allowing them to be whatever it is that they, that they are. Yeah. What a wonderful sort of zen way to live. Like it's, it's, a, it's really cool. And I, I, I felt like I wanted to share that with you all today because it seemed inspiring to me. So enjoy that thought. Appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Time for a gratitude crank up. What you got? You know, I got to spend some time outside this afternoon doing some computer work and it was just lovely. And I, I'm, I'm probably going to get to do that again the next couple of days because mm -hmm. it's going to be really nice outside. I'm going to be indoors recording. God damn it. You're stoked. You'll have the windows open and yeah, it's true. you're not bummed. You've told true, me already. True. But just the time outside is really good for me. And it was good for me today. And I'm really grateful for it. You know, the, it was sunny. There was a, a light breeze. Um, I could hear the birds doing their thing. Mm -hmm. I saw the bunny a few times. <laughs> It was just really good for my spirit, and I'm very grateful for it. How about you? You know, my gratitude is more focused. It's just about the bunny. <laughs> I'm just grateful for the bunny. <laughs> it's the springtime lift we needed at exactly the right time. It's just great. What a gift. I like baby very grateful. buns, and I cannot lie. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Oh, you all, thank you so much for listening today. Um... I imagine that was a lot. It felt like a lot. I feel a little bit worn out right now. I'm going to go take a shower and probably crash because this is a night pod. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, it's about that time. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you for listening. You know, I, we, we sit here each week and we talk about this stuff um, and it's good for me. And I think it's good for Jamie. I think you would say that it's good for him too. I would. I would say that. Um, but that y'all spend some time with us while we do this is really meaningful. So thank you very much for, for listening. And thank you also so much to those of you who are our Misfit Stars supporting members. Uh, your financial contributions that you make to us in small dollar amounts every month, that you, that you are keeping this ship afloat. Um, you, you enable us to do all the work that we do, this podcast, um, the, the mentoring work that Jamie does, the, this new album project that we've been working so hard on the last number of months. Um, you make all of this go, and thank you so very much. Uh, if you are a person who is not yet a supporting member of Misfit Stars. Misfitstars.com slash support. That's misfitstars.com slash support. M-A-S-F-I-T-S-T-A-R-S.com slash support. So it sounds like one of those ads. That's precisely like this, what I was trying to do. Speed talker at the end. Like, yeah. are there like uh, 
Side effects to becoming a Misfit Stars supporting member. Do not look directly at Misfit Stars. Misfit Stars may accelerate suddenly to dangerous speeds. Do not taunt Misfit Stars. Happy fun ball. So good. Yeah. Um, so yes, misfitstars.com slash support. We would appreciate your support so much. Yep, thanks. Anything else? Nope. Y'all, thank you. We'll be back next week with more stuff. Uh, until then, please take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. See you soon. See ya.